Sarah Vogel runs a coffee shop in Altoona, Pennsylvania called The Clay Cup. Okay, so if you're from the central Pennsylvania area, then you have some sort of reference to where that is and the business and who she is. You might know Sarah. Uh, If you are not from central Pennsylvania, then uh, this podcast is a great example from a girl, a woman, a lady who (laughs) who, uh, is really an overachiever, I guess, and I mean that in the best way possible. Sarah is 26 years old. And she's done so much in 26 years. She follows her passion. She chases her passions. And uh, she owns two businesses. She used to be a power lifter. She's an incredible artist. Super sweet, super kind, and understands uh, the value of having passions, of having goals, chasing them, working hard, and having faith that everything is going to work out. This is a really cool conversation. If you want to know more about Sarah, uh, you can just search the the Clay Cup on Facebook, on Instagram. If you're in Altoona, go downtown. Go downtown Altoona. Go to her uh, coffee shop. It's awesome, and she's just really cool. And she's uh, fun to talk to. And I don't think she understands how really uh, interesting she is, and how. Uh, maybe she does understand that. Maybe she just plays it, uh, you know, coy. But uh, she's just a very interesting girl who's done a really a lot of cool things in 26 years, and she's got a cool story too. So make sure you, uh, if you are from Altoona, check out her business and show her some love online or or in the store. If you uh, want to show me some love, iTunes would be a way to do that. Leave me a rating. That you're such a doll. If you would do that for me, uh, you can call my voicemail. It's eight one four. Seven nine nine zero zero six four. Leave me a message. Find me on social media: Facebook and Instagram, Rob Z Radio. Twitter and Snapchat is Rob Z Yo. Let's go. This is Rob Z Radio. If you're listening via the podcast on Facebook Live, thank you very much for tuning in. Anybody listening to this podcast on iTunes, you can follow me, or you can follow me on Facebook if you want to see the live video. Just go to Rob Z Radio on Facebook. And you can follow me. If you're on iTunes, leave me a rating, please, because that would be amazing. Thank you. Just nothing below three stars. Because yeah. if you leave below three, I don't even know what you're doing listening to the show. You know, That's <laughs> if true. you you're, hate it. You're wasting your time. <laughs> like, you like to be angry and listen to things you don't enjoy. I don't know what the point <laughs> of that is. Uh, but, but yeah, I wanted to just introduce Sarah first to Facebook Live, but now to the actual podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, and on iHeartRadio. Uh, Sarah, thank you very much for being here with the Clay Cup. And I guess reintroduce yourself to the uh, podcast audience. Well, again, thanks so much. Um, I'm Sarah. I'm from originally Bellwood but I live in Altoona now, and I own the Clay Cup and Playtime Pottery, and I'm super excited to chat with you today. And anybody who listens outside of the area, if you're not from central Pennsylvania, uh, Bellwood, PA is where you're from, the Clay Cup, downtown Altoona. And one of the things I wanted to talk about today was you're trying to revitalize downtown Altoona, which I think is awesome. Anybody from the area knows that part of our town has been in disarray for many years. So... Penn State Altoona coming in and revitalizing it, you coming in and doing what you're doing, and there's a lot of other businesses now that are, I think, seeing the potential that it has. For sure. Yeah. There's, a there's. I mean, it's not just me, obviously. There's quite a handful of young people that are stepping up and taking the risk of being in downtown because it was dead for so many years. And I think it was the fear that kept people out before because there were a lot of like failed attempts. Mm-hmm. Um, but since Penn State moved in and brought more students and more people down there, um, there's so, so much potential. Yeah, and I, I just, I've always liked downtown Altoona. It has a really old, cool vibe to it. And especially if you go back and you look at like, um, if you look at the uh, old photos of the old movie theaters that were there and all the old stores that were there, it was booming. And that's where everybody went. Right. Everybody was downtown. I like to call it like the hustle and bustle. And um, if you think about like a busy mall at Christmas time now, that's what it was like in downtown, I think, all the time. At least mm-hmm. that's how people describe it to me. My grandparents lived with it like that. And I want to see that again. And I think you know, what you're saying about the cool feel, I mean, it's a railroading 
community is what it was. And all the architecture kind of reflected that. And I think restoring that is just going to make it spectacular. Yeah. I think every town has that. No matter what town you live in, there's a, there's a certain part that's been run down throughout the years that used to be thriving. So you have all these old, cool buildings there, buildings that were built. What, what year was the building that you were in right now? Do you know what year it was built? Uh, it was the late 1800s. And it's beautiful. Like, and the, the, the structure is amazing. The ceilings are super high. Yeah. It's yeah. just, you, you don't have buildings like that anymore. Anymore. They don't exist. So to bring something back and something that's making money and, and bringing people there, I think, is it, it's incredible because you look at that an area of town like that for such a long time, everybody thought they just kind of wrote it off. Well, mm-hmm. that's that's done with. We're going to move on to another part of town. We're never going to go back. And Yeah, I, that's totally true. And there were a couple pioneers like Bill Sells Bold and Sheer Power that have been down there for like five or ten years. Yeah. Um, but when I got in there and I saw what my building really had, like under all the the gross drop ceiling and everything, I was like, this is a gem and we need to expose everything. And I think if things are really going to survive in downtown now, they have to be elevated mm-hmm. and unique like that. Yeah. And to bring in college too, Penn State out too, and bringing all of that in, it's only going to help improve what you're doing and you know well they just make everything look so much nicer and there's a lot of young kids there too and that's what you guys are you're bringing in a lot of young kids as well so yeah it's it's changing the guard i guess from what it's been for a long time but to talk about you uh, the reason i brought you onto this podcast was uh you introduced me to micah marshall who was just on my yep. previous one with refuge youth network i had went into the clay cup i met you there and then you had told micah to send me a message and we should meet up and i wanted to thank you for that number one well yeah sure because i'm so thrilled that like you guys actually connected he's a really good guy and ever since i mean i've only known him for a couple of weeks now but i've just been now connected to so many people who have a positive attitude who are moving forward who are trying to help i mean i mean you're you're young you're 26 Mm -hmm. and i'm 34 so i'm not exactly i'm still young but to somebody who's like 18 i'm really really old so uh i wouldn't say really really old (laughs) well i don't know when i was 18 i was like 34 oh Oh. god who is like when are you gonna die you know what i mean that's what i would always (laughs) say how many years you have left yeah exactly the clock's ticking so it's just cool to me to see uh, a lot of people who are inspired, who are motivated, and who are happy to help out and to move things forward. Because you keep hearing about, and Micah talked about this, the lost generation. Everybody keeps talking about this generation of kids coming up. Seems to be they don't have any direction. All they do is sit on their phones all day long. They're not passionate about anything. And it's just not true. It's, you know, there's there's different sections. And I guess if you look at certain sections of the media or of the population, that might ring true. But you don't see that. I, uh, people come into the Clay Cup, I don't see that there. I don't see that with the Refuge Youth Network. I think that a lot of times these this younger generation, and maybe I'm included in that, I don't know, <laughs> but they all have aspirations and they have dreams. And I think a lot of times they're not always surrounded by the people to help them foster that. And I think that's what Micah's creating. I think that's what you're trying to create as a place where you can help them thrive Um and just see their potential. Yeah, absolutely. How did you, you know, you you own uh, Playtime Pottery, you own the Clay Cup, you you've done a lot of things. Where do you, where does your drive come from? Well, that's a, a loaded question. Mm-hmm. First of all, okay. Um, but I think I grew up in a family where my my dad's side of the family, um, all of his siblings are entrepreneurs. Oh, okay. They all have their own businesses. Um, my Mother's parents have been self-employed pretty much their entire lives. My grandfather is a carpenter. My grandmother is a piano teacher. And my father was self-employed. All of my siblings have businesses. So wow, I was literally that's crazy. surrounded by it. Like, how is there any other way? Right. Um, so I, I grew up in that atmosphere, and I was also homeschooled. So we spent a lot of time with our grandparents, and we spot, spent a lot of time doing things that you might not necessarily get to do in a public school system. Like, I helped build on additions to my grandparents' house, house and I, I learned the piano and the violin, and I learned how to write checks when I was, like, six. Wow. I didn't <laughs> learn until I was, like, 23, I think. <laughs> and that's just because, like, my mom was writing checks at the kitchen table, and she would hand me a voided check, and I would practice. Practice, and then sometimes she'd let me fill in the numbers on her checks as I got a little bit older. And now every time I draw that line, when you write out the, you know, the total and you draw the line to the change, yeah. I think of her 
every single time. Um, but anyway, I was surrounded by that and fostered those skills. Um, those skills were fostered in a way that I don't think necessarily happens in every situation. Um, so I'm very thankful for that. But also, I believe that I'm a Christian and I believe that the Lord places dreams in our hearts for a reason. And I've wanted to see the restoration of downtown since high school. And I've had my eye on that particular building for five years. And I just really? never forgot about that. I, this is crazy to me because a lot of people, uh, and I thought this for many years, they want to move out of the town that they were born in. You know, it's like, well, I want to move out and do bigger things. Yeah. But there's still, I mean, like yourself and, and me now, I didn't used to think this way, but I think this way now. Why not stay where you started and help to revitalize where you come from? I totally agree with that. And I, I understand a lot of people have dreams to go travel the world or whatever, but I think there's so much that can be done in the area that surrounds us, mm -hmm. especially here, like with the youth, like you were talking about. And um, so... I, I've wanted to just stay in this area. I've had passion for that. And I remember in high school, I did go to public school in high school. We were doing a career report, which we had to write like a hundred of them. And I wanted to be a mechanical engineer for a long time. Wow. Um, but as I was writing this report, I was like, you know, I don't think I want to be a mechanical engineer. I think I want to be an artist and I think I want <laughs> to stay here. And then just I started uh, just kind of dreaming about what downtown could be again. So. What, what inspired you about downtown Altoona? Because that doesn't seem like, you know, a kid in high school uh, doesn't seem like the one thing they'd be caring about. You know, much. I think I think like that that engineering side of me, that mathematical side of me loves architecture. Mm -hmm. And that's also the visual arts. It's like the combination of both. So hearing from my grandparents about what it used to be like and seeing the potential in the old buildings. But then the idea of restoration, mm -hmm. that goes very deeply with me because I think that's the whole idea behind the Christian faith is Jesus Christ restoring and redeeming us. And I I want to rescue everything. I see any old building, I'm like, oh, that could be like the coolest venue. Or I'm like, oh, <laughs> this would be the best donut shop. Like I'm dreaming, dreaming, dreaming. That's how my mom is with time. furniture. She always yeah. seems like old furniture. She says, I could redo that furniture. Yeah. And she does. She takes it and like makes something that's all old, dusty and beat up. Yeah, I And used, she redoes it and it looks great. When I was younger, I used to like not hoard things, but like collect all these little things because I'm like, I can make something great out of this. And I think it just kind of grew over the years. And now I'm looking at buildings like this could be great. I have to save this building. Yes. It needs me. Right. This building needs me. <laughs> yes. That's so interesting. Your whole family was entrepreneurs. Like, I, I don't, uh, you know, I, I kind of I try to think of like people that I know in my life uh, besides my wife's family. Uh, I, I can't. Her brother and sister are. Her brother's been for a long time. Her sister just started their own business. And, I, and I've just started mine as well. But I didn't really know anybody else. Uh, who did that? Who went off on their own and started their own thing? And uh, like, how, how, who started that in your family? When did it start? And what did they do? Like, where did that all begin? Do you know? Um, because well, it's very interesting. That's actually, that's a really good question. I want to dive a little deeper on that with my own family and ask questions. But um, I think most directly, it came from my mom's parents and my dad. My dad provided for us like the whole time that I was alive, mm -hmm. he was self-employed. And he worked really hard and- What did he do? He he was a computer consultant and he wrote um, like some different like software stuff for other small businesses. Cool. Um, and he had an online business that sold like stained glass lighting and that kind of thing, which my sister ended up taking over. Um, but yeah, that was the most direct. But we also spent a lot of time, like I said, with my mom's parents and the skills that they had, the skill set that they had, it's very hands on. I mean, my grandfather was a carpenter and he um, would build instruments, too. And then any instrument that he would build, my grandmother would learn how to play. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, but like we were always in his wood shop or we were, you know, fixing something outside or adding on to their house. I'm pretty sure I helped add on like three different rooms. But anyway. Very cool. So you the, learned the hands all those on stuff. The hands-on stuff. So since you were homeschooled, you were there all the time to see all this stuff happen. So you were always yeah. there. Being homeschooled, so you always, I, I, I want to talk about that too because you always hear uh, like it's not a good thing. 
you know, it's, right. it, it, there's definitely two sides. It makes kids really weird. It's one of the things you always well, hear. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we can have you ever that. met me? No. <laughs> but it also, I guess if you don't have the parents who are homeschooling you right, it can be a major issue. But if you have the parents that are homeschooling you the, the right way, then it can be the best thing ever. How was it yes. for you? Um, I, oh man, I look back on homeschooling and I'm like, this is education. Really? Because... Like, my parents were very intentional about obviously making sure we're learning the important things. Like, so this is from, like, preschool, kindergarten up. Yeah. Now, I, I'm i the youngest of four, so it was a little bit in and out for me more because at that point my mom had to work a little bit more. Um, like, my older siblings were homeschooled more than I was. So I was in and out of elementary, like, one or two times and middle school one or two times. And then I was public schooled all the way through high school. But I... I was primarily homeschooled in those younger years. Um, and I, I mean, I just think it's the best form of education if the parents are really intentional about making sure that you're learning like the the history and the math and the science, but then also very intentional about learning life skills like mm -hmm. taxes and um, how to talk to people that are older than you, how to talk to people that are younger than you. and. Uh, really like the stuff you should have been taught in school somehow. Like yes. The things that they kind of but how are you really? Over. How are you really going to, I mean, public school is great too, but how are you really going to learn to communicate with people that are older than younger than, older and younger than you when you're surrounded by people your own age? Yes, very true. So, yeah. Because most of the thought. kids in school, besides the teachers, are all right around the same yeah. age as you are, so it's hard to get that experience. Yeah, I you guess. don't get like the cross over of all the different ages and people always talk about oh but you're not socialized or you know they yeah, think we yeah. were kept in a closet or something yeah. um we were part of good church groups and i did gymnastics and we did piano lessons so i was surrounded by people all the time um in the community and things like that so did your parents like use textbooks to teach you what did they do yeah there i mean there's all kinds of curriculum out there and my mom at at that point had gone through a lot of different curriculum so she knew what she wanted to use with me and i'm different than my siblings i'm the artist child so i'm a little bit more probably add and she had to be a little bit more attentive with me but yeah all kinds of textbooks and things and like when you graduate do you how do you get a diploma or you went you eventually ended up going to school yes i did graduate from public school but my one of my brothers graduated from uh, homeschooling. I'm not sure how that works with the diploma. We still have to do all of like the state testing and everything. Oh, okay. So and oh, the SATs, obviously. I've always wondered about how that all works mm -hmm. because it just. It's... But we don't have to do like them every year. We only have to do them like every two years or every three years or something. And your parents don't have to worry about teaching you the curriculum that's going to be on the test. Right. They don't they teach can... for the test. Yeah, they're actually. They teach for life. Teaching you for life. Yeah. And I think also the benefit of homeschooling is you learn how to learn for the rest of your life. And I think that is really the key. And I I mean, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now without those skills because I didn't know um, about coffee as much as I should have when I was like, hey, I want to open a coffee shop. I started opening a coffee shop and then I was like, oh, I better really learn about coffee. <laughs> I would assume the other way around. Yeah, like, I, love I might coffee. have gone about it in the wrong order. I do love coffee, but I, I knew that this is what I wanted to accomplish. Uh -huh. So I knew I had to learn so much to get to that point. And it's all about learning where you're at in, in, in your life right now. Learning because those things that you're learning are going to help you continue into the next steps and you're going to use those things in the next steps. So how did you know that you wanted to open a coffee shop without knowing anything about coffee? Was it like the community of it? What was the idea behind Pretty it? Pretty much. So uh, in high school when I was writing that report on a career and thinking, man, I don't think I really want to be a mechanical engineer anymore, I was like, you know, my heart is really at the place where I want to see people come together. Mm. Like I want some sort of community place. I love that like unity. Um and also the art was really important to me. So I was like, man, what's a place that's going to bring all of this together in one? And I was like, coffee brings people together um, of all ages, really. Yeah. And art can be incorporated into that somehow. So I kind of kept that little nugget in the back of my head. And then obviously it came up again. And you found people who also knew a lot about coffee, I'd imagine, to work. Because whenever I go in there, there's, like, the girls like, no, 
they say a lot of words, and I don't know what they're saying about the coffee. I'm like, yeah, just the one that the 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 medium roast one, I guess. Yeah. I don't know which one to so, <laughs> go with. Um, I knew obviously that I wanted to learn specialty coffee, um, which is a little bit more particular than just like obviously going to the store and grabbing whatever's on the shelf. Specialty coffee is very intentional from all the way from the farmer and how it's grown and where it's grown to how the farmer is getting paid to uh, the roastery and every single step. It's very intentional. Um, and I was so blessed to get paired up with a company in Lancaster. Their name is Passenger. Okay. And they're just an incredible company. They're younger, but they have personal relationships with the farmers that they're sourcing the beans from. And they just do everything to such excellence. So they not only provide me with the beans, but they did trainings with us. They helped me pick out what equipment would be best for what I wanted to do. They trained us on my equipment. They will come and service my equipment. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so, like... I wouldn't have been able to do what I'm doing without finding the right people. So. But you knew the idea going in. Like you yes. knew what you, you wanted to do. It was just getting the right people around yeah. you once you oh. started doing it. And I mean, getting the right people is key for any type of like um, for organization life or life. Yeah. I mean, I have Lindsay who manages the shop for me. And then I have six other baristas that are just outstanding and they go above and beyond. And I handpicked them because... I picked them because I knew that they would be good with the customers. Uh -huh. They can learn coffee, but they can't learn how to really, really serve somebody. Yeah. And that was what I wanted. So as far as it was the artist, being an artist, it was like your first love? Like, is that what you were really into? I guess besides yeah. uh, mechanical engineering. Like, yes. The, the artist side of you came in with Playtime Pottery, I guess, and your artwork is amazing, because I was talking to you the other day on the phone, and you said that, like, because you keep putting up paintings every day, I'm like, how fast do you do a painting? You're like 45 minutes or something like that, you can get one done, and they look incredible. So I, I mean, I'm sure you know that, you know that they look really cool. good, but it's, it's amazing to see somebody knock them out that fast. It's, I, it's pretty like, cool. I think I told you this, but me being a little bit more like ADD and not having the longest attention span, mm -hmm. I don't like to plan out a painting that's gonna take hours. Like, I don't have time for that. I don't wanna spend that much time on a painting. So um, I'm learning to be a little bit more detailed and take my time on certain things. Um, and I'm studying certain areas of art right now just on my own. But yes, typically I like to be like, like 30 minutes to 45 minutes and then on to the next thing where does your inspiration come from from the stuff you do it's a lot of nature from what i've seen yeah well there's a lot of food in there oh, too, yeah, food, yeah, too yeah. <laughs> i think we know where that inspiration <laughs> comes from which are really and, like the, the cheerios and stuff they look yeah. like real cheerios like it's very hard to tell and i look at the paintbrush and i'm like did she is the paintbrush real and then the Cheerios are, are painted? Or did she paint the whole thing? I like it's very hard to differentiate. I'm assuming it's all painted. And that's something well, the Cheerios, I don't remember I think that brush was a real brush and not a painted brush. Oh, but sometimes but it is a painted brush. Sometimes it is. I'm wow. trying to trick you. Yeah. Well Doing a good I, job. those were just I'm studying like light and shadows and hyper realism is like basically it looks like you're painting a photograph. Um it's not something that I'm super good at because I don't have any formal training, um, but it's something that I've been working on. So that's what that came from. What's where's the inspiration? Though? Like, do you see how do you get the inspiration for Cheerios? You know, what I mean? like where does it come from? Because uh, I always think for myself, I needed something small, okay, and quick. Okay, <laughs> that's like what a it is. Cheerio. Ah, it's perfect. I was eating a bowl of cereal and I was yeah. like, wait a minute, this is what I'm going to paint today. Um, I don't know. You know, sometimes I think. Like, I've woken up in the middle of the night and been like, I need to paint this animal with glasses. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, maybe that's maybe that's the Lord telling me I need to get up and paint it. I don't right. know. But um, Well, that happens I, with this podcast sometimes. I, 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 when I try to think of an idea, it's like it never turns out that great. But when something just kind of hits me, I'm like, I need to yeah. talk about that. Right. That's whenever it works out. So I imagine it's the same kind of inspiration with you. And like you... I don't like to plan, and I also don't like to go back and like edit. I like to right. just make it, release it, and I'm done because I, and I assume you're the same way. So true. The more I listen to it, the more I analyze it, the longer it takes me to release it, and the more I just keep cutting things out and picking it apart, and then by the yeah. end of it, I hate it. And I'm like, I can't even do this anymore. And, and I, I think that's one of the reasons why I, I generally am a lot quicker with my paintings, because like I do it, 
I look at it through my camera because I think that gives me a view of like how everything is really working together if my proportions are right. Mm-hmm. And if I, I might adjust one or two things and then I'm done. I, I like move it away under something yeah. <laughs> or away from me and then I move on to another painting. Well, I was talking to Micah about this because he said he like, like, we were talking about video for Refuge Youth Network and, and he was saying how he wants it to be perfect. He wants it to look really, really good. And I, I said, I used to be that way. And then I started to realize, Rob, you're never releasing anything yeah. because you're taking like five weeks to produce something, just just start knocking it out. And then once I started just knocking things out, I looked back and I, and I realized that the things that would take forever to edit would only sound a little bit better or mm-hmm. only be a little bit better than the thing that so just... it really wasn't worth your time. It wasn't. And sometimes I would just overdo it. I would just keep going and going and going until right. it wasn't... It, it was completely separate from the thing that I originally wanted it and to be. And that's so true with paintings, especially watercolor painting. And I'm learning this because I'm practicing like looser stuff because watercolor, it can be very tight and precise or it can be very loose and washy. And obviously tight and precise is where I've been focusing with all of my animals and food and paintbrushes and things. When you say tight and precise, you mean like it looks like what yeah, it Yeah, like the is. lines are really clean. Okay. Everything's very, you know, in its place. But traditional watercolor is very loose and you let the water like move things and depending on how dry your paper is or how wet it is it's going to move more or less Um, but I've been really practicing that and you cannot overwork it it's like you got to just let the water do its thing and so it's applicable it's kind of like that Bruce Lee that Bruce Lee quote about water I can't think of what it is right now but it applies to what you were just saying. Be like the water I think it's just like you know just let it do what it does because if you try to control it it, it's it gonna, gets worse. Yeah, it just turns gonna, into like mud. Yeah, it's going to completely fall apart. Yeah. Now, I used to be a really passionate artist when I was younger, but I was always really bad. And, and I say that as like... <laughs> Who told you you were bad? Well, because I would look at what I did and it would take me hours. I wanted to be a comic book artist. Okay. I loved comic books and it would take me... I, I I said to myself that I was really bad because I would draw the cover of the comic book that I wanted to do and it would take me four days to draw oh it. Oh my gosh. And I was like, well, I can't, how am I going to do this? How how do people in Disney make these movies? Like, it's taken me four days to draw one cover. To draw cover. one thing. <laughs> it was a mess. <laughs> so that's when I hung it up. Yeah. That was about the time I, I hung up my uh, my artistry skills. You might have to give it a shot sometime again, though. I, I would, actually. You know, yeah. just, uh, I took a couple art, uh, a couple classes when I was young. And I did kind of just let it pass me by because my sister's an artist. She loves doing art. Uh, my other sister, is she loves taking photography. She loves doing just, you know, her own photography, which it seems like everybody now does their own photography. Because good cameras are easy to get. So. Exactly, yeah. And you can put it out yeah. that anybody can, can find what you're doing. Uh, but there's something that comes across. I always found it interesting. Uh, no matter who you are, if you're really passionate about taking photos, you're really passionate about being an artist, or you're passionate about doing a podcast or whatever it is, you can tell when somebody's authentic with it and they really care about it because they have their own style and like their personality seems to come out through what they're doing. And I always see that with the stuff that you're doing because you put it out on Snapchat and on Instagram. Mm-hmm. If anybody wants to find it, it's just uh, at the Clay Cup, right? Yeah, that's where that's most right. of the artist is being posted or art, art is being posted. But you can just tell in your pictures, you know, they all kind of look like what you do. Is that, I mean, I'm sure you have favorite artists. Uh, actually, I don't really follow other artists. Okay. Well, and that, that might sound really lame, but I think... Well, that's why you I stand ha- out then. I have this perspective, and I think this doesn't just go with art. It goes with my life, and it has to do with competition. And it's so easy. I'm very competitive. And it's so easy for me to turn anything into a competition or me to feel insecure about something if I'm looking at other people's things. So... If I'm trying to learn something, I will study other people's art that's they're really good and they're good at what I'm trying to learn. But I don't follow other people that might have coffee shops or that teach Canvas classes or any of that. I'm staying in my own lane. I'm doing my own thing. I want to be original. And if I'm looking at other people's things, I'm going to compare myself. I'm going to feel insecure. I'm going to maybe accidentally copy something that they're doing. Yeah. And I don't want any of that. Yeah, that's what always happens because I was going to say that it makes sense that you don't follow any artists or like study them a lot because you seem to have your own original thing and i know even with this podcast sometimes i listen to a lot of other podcasts so it starts to like bleed over when i listen back to myself i'm like oh you're totally copying tim ferris or joe rogan or whoever it is that i'm listening to so i tried to back off on listening to podcasts now and i just listen to more music because i don't make music so i can 
you know disassociate whatever I'm doing. It's like my own thing. Uh, but that, that's totally true with the inspiration. Sometimes I find inspiration like through music. I'll find mm-hmm. inspiration through music all the time, or inspiration through hanging out with Max, or just whatever those other things are in your life, which I'm sure is where you get a lot of your inspiration from yeah, as well. Yeah, I mean, day to day. Yeah, it's true, and I think. Like, in the phase I am right now, I'm just trying to learn as much as I can. And so learning, when it applies to my art, I'm just trying to learn all the things that I'm not as good at. Like I said, those looser things and just I've had a little bit of time to step back from the coffee shop and really focus on that. So. Well, I'm curious. Okay, so what's your goal? Because you have the coffee shop where you have a lot of your art and your husband um, does a lot of woodwork. Yes, Is that yes what he's... he does. He and his he a father. What'd you say? Is he a whittler? Is, is he <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe one day. I feel like he needs a really big beard to be a right. whittler. Yeah, that's very true, yeah. <laughs> um, well, Jeremy's primarily a nurse, but he uh, does a lot of woodworking with his father, and they do beautiful, um, like, cutting boards, tables. They lave, um, like, bottle openers and ice cream scoops, and... Um, they just do it in their free time and they love it. So mm-hmm. I sell their things in my shop and I think eventually they want to have a showroom for their for their things. So do you see taking your uh, taking your coffee shop and then making that your own uh, studio too? Like where you have every... Because you have a couple floors there. Mm-hmm. So do you want the next floor to be like a, a showcase or well, an art room? When you ask me what my goal is... Yeah. There's not just one. Right. <laughs> um, I could talk all day about that. Well, yeah, I want to hear. But, I'm, I'm curious. Um, as in regards to the building that I'm in and the art that's there, I I'm getting ready to open the paint room pottery section, which is kind of in the back of the coffee shop, and I'm starting my watercolor classes. However, when I renovate the second floor, which is 2,500 square feet, I want to have a wide open space where I can teach like real clay classes and dive deeper into like courses in watercolor and maybe even oil and then have other artisans come in that do things like um felting or uh jewelry making or wreath making or any of those things and teach as well so kind of like a a hub for any type of art that's so cool i I just i like the idea because of of course coffee shop and art they kind of go hand in hand, right? Yeah. They're like one and the same. It seems like they always seem to follow each other somehow. Uh, so I, I, it makes sense that you would start that to build the community, mm-hmm. to have the people come in for the coffee, but also you get artists in there, and it's a it's a cool blend of yeah. people. And then I think the the community will come in, and maybe they don't think they're artistic, but maybe they'll see like, oh, she's doing these classes where anyone can learn. I want to learn. Yeah. So I, I want to spark that interest. Yeah. When I go in there, I, I'm not just saying this to like blow smoke, but I see people in there that I don't see in Altoona anywhere else. It, it brings a unique group They're of people. They're coming out of the woodwork. They, no. <laughs> all these freaks that I never no. knew existed. Nobody from the Pen Alto there yet, though. I don't see any of them over there. I don't know. I'm sure they've come in. <laughs> uh, but I just I think it's interesting that you have these people come in. That uh, it, it seems to be a, a unique blend of human that are that are coming to the clay cup. So I think you you have something going there. I mean, I think it. It doesn't focus on one specific audience. It's very broad. And I think that's why Altoona needed this this coffee shop. And people are continually telling me, like, Altoona needed this. And I think Yeah, I, I feel it's true. When you talk about seeing people post about it and stuff on social media all the time, I'm, like, totally blown away by that. I think it's amazing, the community support that I've had. And... I think that's only because it was needed. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems authentic. I think that's one of the reasons. It comes mm-hmm. across as authentic. And you also understand social media, so you understand how it works. So it, it seems to blend together with that pretty well, plus I'm the learning. demographic. Now, the other part I wanted to talk to you about, because this is the most interesting thing to me, is the bodybuilding, <laughs> is the is the powerlifting. Because you yes. had mentioned you were a powerlifter, and I was like, oh, wait a minute, what? How, did, how does... Yeah, you know, mechanical engineering and then artistry, owning a coffee shop, you know, doing uh, clay pottery and then also powerlifting. Like, how did that start? Where did that <laughs> well, come from? Well, it didn't all happen at the same time, I'm just first so, of all. That's so wild. Um, okay, so I was a gymnast for 13 years growing oh, okay. up, and I was used to being really strong and being able to, like, I, I was always able to do, like, 12 or 15 pull-ups. Like, wow. always growing just up. Just naturally. Well, just because I was a gymnast and really? I was, okay. you know, I had that upper body strength. So... 
after high school, I went away to college for like two semesters and I came home and I was like, we have this little pull-up bar that used to be in our kitchen that I used to hang on and do stuff on forever. And I remember like going over to it and I was like, I can only do four pull-ups. This is not good. So I literally went and got a Planet Fitness membership. And then- (laughs) How long ago was this? This was, so I, I was like 20. Okay. Maybe. And is anybody else in your family like really into fitness or into powerlifting? Is that no? That's, I mean, that's just you, Jeremy. But this was before I knew him. Oh, okay. All right. Um. So, anyway, I slowly started learning, and I met some awesome people at Planet, and then I ended up moving to Florida actually for a job and started learning powerlifting down there. When did you and move I to fell Florida? in love with powerlifting. Um. It was. Let me think. 2013 okay and it was just for four months it was for I worked for a wealth management firm and I helped set up a second office down there um but anyway I met a lot of people down there and they taught me how to power lift and then when I came back I started diving even deeper and doing all the meal prep and the macros <laughs> and everything and it anybody was anybody like, who doesn't know power lifting if you're not yeah. if you're not like totally sure it's just bench squat and deadlift yes three exercises yes and that's all you were so the way that I trained it was a combination of bodybuilding and power lifting because okay. I didn't want to look completely bulky with no definition which is what power lifters typically look like yeah And I wanted some definition, which is what you get from the bodybuilding workouts. So I I did that whole lifestyle for quite a while, and I loved it, and I was really strong. I mean, I was deadlifting over 315 pounds. That's incredible. (laughs) That's so awesome. Um, But how long? I mean, I was probably serious, serious for like two or three years. Are you out of it now? Yes, I have not been in a gym for a year and a half. You don't have time, I'd imagine. I don't. Well, I probably could make time and make it intentional. But one thing that I learned from when I was like all in, I was almost obsessive. Uh And it seems like that's part of your personality. Yes, I I go, I'm I'm either all or nothing. Yeah. All or nothing. So, um, I I learned a lot from stepping back about learning to be happy with who I am, still taking care of myself, Mm -hmm. um, but not obsessing over what I look like and how strong I am and Mm -hmm. everything that goes into my mouth. And I, yeah, so the time away has been really beneficial for me. You know, I... 100% 100% agree with what you're saying. We were talking the other day, and I said my, my dad used to be a bodybuilder, Mr. Altoona, back in the 70s. Shout out to Bob Wentz. Um, my brother, he he lifts a lot. That's, that's his big passion. And for about a decade of my life, that was a big passion of mine. I, mean, I was in the gym like four, five, six days a week. Yeah. Like an hour and a half a day before I had a kid. That's yeah. what it was, I think. Like I had this obsession. And I, I, I saw a lot of results, and I was really happy with it. But at the same time... I was constantly obsessed with staring at myself in the mirror. I was constantly comparing yep. myself to other people. Yep. I was constantly wondering, like, if, if I wasn't in the gym long enough that day, I'd get irritated. Yeah. And it was like, always, I'd have to stuff all this food in my mouth. I'd be eating so much, taking protein. And I, when I finally sat back, because we had Max, and I didn't have the time. So I had right. a gym here. I just have a gym at my house. I have weights in my garage. And I, I sat back, and I was like, Rob, what? what are you doing? You know, what, what's your goal? So I cut it down to like Tabata workouts where I was doing like real short bursts, you know, and I, yeah. I was making them like 25, 30 minute workouts. And, um, I started like thinking like, Rob, you're not in competition. You have no intentions on like doing anything with this. You have your shirt off in front of people, maybe like five times a year at the beach. Like nobody ever sees you. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. I'm worried about like a six pack and nobody ever sees me, my stomach, Exactly. except for my wife. And, you know, and I was like, I don't know what you're beating yourself up for. And I was getting a lot of back pain, a lot of shoulder pain. And I just thought this is just not something I need to do anymore. And I still work out. I still work out three to four days a week. I do DDP yoga. I do some lifting, uh, you know, in the morning. But it's not this obsession. Right. And I, I felt so much better when I came out of that phase. Yeah. I had that same kind of realization. Like, what are your goals with this? Are you ever really going to be happy? Because you look at yourself and you're always like, well, this needs to be better. This needs to be better. And you're you're never going to be happy. Yeah, you're and, never happy. And I was forced to step back because of buying playtime and then working on the clay cup. But 
I it gave me time to kind of like look at everything and be like, what are my real goals here and where do I need to be focusing my time and energy? And it was not spending six days a week at the gym. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't meal prepping all the time. It was working on my business and growing that business so that I could pursue the next thing that I wanted to pursue. Yeah. And was this um, did you look at it as did you look at it as a profession at some point or was it still just like an obsessive hobby? Like it was just something that you really were into. It was just a hobby, an obsession I mean, of a hobby. At least you did go to competition, right? You did do a competition. Uh, it was just a really small local one, not re- not anything. But at least you like, for me, it was never that. It yeah. was just, I need to go to the gym because yeah. my buddies are getting bigger than I am. So I have to catch up. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, like my For me, it did. was like, I was like, I just wanted to be stronger than the next person. And again, it's that comparison, that competition that can be good. Uh-huh. But usually it's not. Were you constantly comparing yourself to other people? That's yes. what that's what really got Always. in my head. I was like, oh, this is like, what do you what am I doing to myself here? It yeah. just seems so uh, unnecessary. Yeah, and I didn't stop because I couldn't do it. You like, were a monster. You couldn't. You would have destroyed you know, everybody. I <laughs> right. <laughs> well, not quite. But I. It was just. Again, I was forced to step back because of work, but then I realized that was really what was best for me. And now the time that I could be spending in the gym, I'm focusing on painting, which I know that's my true gifting. Picking up uh, 300 and some pounds isn't my true gift. Uh-huh. My true gift it's is... pretty cool, though. Is, yeah, I guess. <laughs> my true gift is the art and the relationships that I can build with people. I'm curious, how much were you benching? Did you get, like, what was I your benched 165. Bench? Wow. I weighed that's really, that's 138 really pounds, I think, at that time. Which, for a girl to bench more than her body weight, that's generally pretty good. Yeah. Um. So I was. I love. I loved benching. That's amazing. That's really. Uh, were you pretty uh, compared to other girls? Were you above what they were doing? I mean, you're very competitive, so I imagine you were. Like, yeah. I mean, locally, I right. I never you know did anything. I just had a vision, okay? Oh, gosh. Because the fitness thing blends right in to, like, you know, uh, you've always seen, like, the pictures of Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, yeah. posing and stuff. I say you bring in fitness models and you guys paint them. <laughs> that could be the whole... So you have a fitness studio upstairs and then, a, and then a, like, a, an art studio. Actually, it's so, funny. I was like, man, I could have a powerlifting gym in this basement yeah. and it would be awesome. <laughs> Secretly so in the back go. of my head. There you I go. still want to be a part of that, but I, I don't have any balance so right. I'm like, okay, how can I do this where I don't become obsessed, but I have balance and I have a life and I haven't gotten to that point yet. So I haven't even entered the gym. Yeah. I, well, I see like your second floor, like they're posing the whole time in the windows and people oh, yeah. are painting them while people are coming into the clay cup. And it's like this whole, it, it just becomes this it could be a thing. eclectic group of people. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> there's, there's something there, Sarah. I'm telling you. I'll, I'll keep something. that little nugget. I'm going right. to write that down. Save that for the future. Okay. Uh, so, so how did you get out of it all? How did you get out of lifting? Um, what was your exit? Like, when did you realize, you know, this is not for me? Did you totally drop off? Well, I dropped off and then I went back and then I dropped off again. <laughs> so the first time I dropped off, I'm trying to, it always had to do with work because I've always had multiple jobs and I was working as a support person, um, supporting um, a lady who had some intellectual disabilities and helping her just do everyday things. But then I was also a sign artist at Trader Joe's. So I was driving to State College at like 5 a.m. and painting their big signage. A sign artist? They, they hire people as a sign artist? Yes. That's, like they pay you for that? Yes. It was. Wow. If I am ever not self-employed, I will go back to Trader Joe's, hands down. Hold on a second. So they they hire local artists to come and do like their, their chalkboard. So is that tra- what it is? They're, Pretty much. Um, Trader Joe's, they're all over the country. Um, Aldi's is also, that's the brother. They're related, yes. Um, But Trader Joe's, they have at least one in-house artist in every store. Every single sign is handmade, even the shelf signs. So when I worked at the Trader Joe's in State College, I was in charge of all the big signage. Um, Now, someone trained me, and she's amazing. She's still there. Her name's Jillian. She's like... I want to be her when I grow up because okay. her lettering skills are ridiculous. But she wor- she did most of the small stuff because she was really good yeah. at the little things. And I was in charge of all the big stuff. So basically, we got to eat really good food, uh, have awesome customers, and make signs in the back That's so cool. It was really And I'd cool. love to work for Trader Joe's. If there was one like grocery store you'd ever want to work for, it they would be that place. They take really good care of their employees. That's what I've heard. Really good care. So... 
So you would travel there every day? Was that like a, uh, I was I I had full time hours. So I was yeah. working there and I was still supporting Were you like somebody. running the register and stuff too or you just were an artist? When when you work at Trader Joe's you have to be able to do everything. Okay. So, yes. But anyway, I was supporting somebody and then I on the weekends and then I was doing the Trader Joe's thing. So, I really I mean an hour commute back and forth. I had to kind of cut the gym out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then it was I Right around that time, a couple months later, I bought Playtime. Okay. So then I really didn't have time. What inspired you to buy somebody else's art studio? Is it, is it considered an art studio or what is yeah, it considered? it is. I mean, it's technically a paint room pottery studio. Okay. If you want to be really technical about it. <laughs> I was curious. Um, so Playtime opened like six years ago and I'm the third owner. And when I lived in Florida for those few months in 2013 they had these sip and paints everywhere the canvas and wine classes and And i was like i could teach those i could break down a painting very simply for somebody and walk them through it so i had approached the first owner about teaching them at her place and nothing ever came of it and then she sold it to somebody and I didn't even know that, but I went back to talk to her again, and it was a different owner. And I was like, hey, this is going to bring, you know, good things for your business and something new to the area. Uh, so we started setting them up. I started teaching them. A couple months later, she's like, eh, I think I want to sell. And I was like, okay, how much? Because <laughs> uh, I knew I, I mean, wanted I knew I knew wanted to have my own business. And it was also kind of on the – it was not doing as well because just some of the management – issues um at that time so i, I was like i can restore known, this yeah i can make this like boom and i can teach these classes all the time because that's your passion anyway yeah so. so i ended up you know finding the money myself and and buying it and then i was still working at trader joe's at the same time and running this business and, and at, working out and <laughs> well at that time i had already kind of dropped out of the gym okay um and then I, uh, so I had to quit Trader Joe's at a certain point because I was getting so busy at playtime and it was that weird phase where I'm like, oh, am I going to make enough at playtime to quit Trader Joe's? But I, I had to do it. And then I took that leap of faith and it was like one of the best things I've ever done. And it was the first time in years that I had one job because I always. That feels good. Yeah. Because I had three jobs at one point in my yep. life and it was hell every day was like i would forget which job i had to be at and i'd be stressed out but they weren't fun jobs like you seemed like you had some jobs you really enjoyed mine were like working at subway or like at cook at hooters or something so i was not having fun i was despising them except for the radio station that was fun but um so you open playtime pottery and i'm i've never seen your pottery work i've never seen like your your maybe i have and i just don't realize that i have so playtime is paint your own pottery, which basically it's already made oh, when we get in, pottery. and then you come in and glaze it. And we fire it. However, but you I was do like, make your own pottery. I, right? I do. Okay. Yes, I was like, I have a kiln. I need to learn how to make real pottery, and obviously, I like doing working with my hands. So, I started making these mugs that look like trees. They look like tree bark, and oh, then I cool. make ones that look like sweaters. If you go through my Instagram, you'll find them. Okay. But yeah, so I build a little bit on my own. And eventually, that's what I want to really teach on the second floor of the clay cup. Yeah. Are you going to take Playtime Pottery and move that into the... Nope. It's just you're keeping those two completely they're, separate. They're branded very differently. I'm not doing kids' events at the clay cup. I do a lot of kids' events at Playtime Pottery. And I'm keeping the canvas painting at Playtime. I'm teaching watercolor at the clay cup. So I'm keeping that separation there. And to be in both downtowns, mm-hmm. I mean... Of course, I'm going to keep it. Right, yeah. So. That's, that's, you're covering both grounds. Like, yeah. You've got both places covered. I just need to open a coffee shop in Holidaysburg now. How do you manage your time? It seems um, like you've got like so much going on. Like, How do you balance? That's one of the main things I have trouble with is managing my time. Well, it's been a learning experience, but because I have such incredible people working for me, and they're all trained now, they're, I've had like more days off in this month than I've had in years. Oh, cool. Um, so I can entrust them that with it, like I can leave it with them and know that it's going to be run well so I can sit home and paint. Yeah. And I live like two minutes away, so if something did go wrong, I could oh, go could right over. Right. But same thing with playtime. I have two incredible employees out there, and 
I basically just have to show up when I teach. Um, now, I don't want to be completely unengaged. Yeah. That's not my goal at all. But I did need to step back for a little bit and kind of catch my breath because I was working well over 100 hours a week for months. I was going to say, it seems like you'd be putting in a lot of... I mean, you have to to get started, mm -hmm. right? you got to put in a lot of time yeah. to get started. Which but. I love working. Like, I could work that hard forever and totally love it. Because you're but, doing something you like. Yeah. Um, I've always been like that, though. Even from, like, some of the first jobs I've had. I've had, like, 10, 10 or 11 jobs. And I just loved it. Now, let's go into, like, Micah with the Refuge Youth Network. How did you get involved with that? Because you were the leader of that, too, at one point, to add another thing onto the list. I was a leader for a little while. Um, when Micah and Bethany first moved to the area, I think it was the first summer that they were here, um, Dave Taylor from The Door in Bellwood, I don't know mm -hmm. if you've met him before, Yeah. Um, he does a summer camp for kids every year, and Micah and Bethany had joined in with him to go do that, and... Um, I am good friends with one of Dave's daughter's really good friends. Oh, so okay. I ended up being a counselor at that camp. And that's where I met Bethany and Micah. And then they were talking about like what they were doing with the refuge and what their goals were with that. And I was like, I really want to get connected. So um, I ended up just helping with the youth. And that was back in the day when they had like 50, 50 kids come, which is still awesome. Now yeah. it's like, you know, 150 or something. Hundred, yeah. yeah, 200. Um, so that's how I first met them. And then I started attending church there. And I grew up in church, but it became like my home church. And yeah, they're awesome people. What is your, because one of the reasons I had you on, one of the things I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, you know, inspire kids. I'm trying to help them find their avenue, that thing that they're passionate about, because there's nothing more important than being able to find that thing. Right. And I know myself personally for years, I didn't, I didn't pursue the things that I actually loved doing. I just kind of floated and well, didn't really put a target on anything. I did the same thing. Like I had these 10 jobs and none of them were art related. Okay. Yeah. But it seems like you are, but you had like some sort of uh, drive and focus. I'm saying for myself, it was just drifting, okay. you know, just not really, uh, I don't know. It, it, it comes along with like low self-esteem. It comes along with not having the, the, the confidence to understand what you really feel like you should be doing. It's not, it comes along with not having a vision and things like that. Mm -hmm. And also just, uh, just your friends and what, what they do. And how did you... How do you feel about the state of youth in the area? Because you work with a lot of kids, I'd imagine, mm -hmm. right? I mean, with, with Refuge, you did. You see a lot of kids come into the Clay Cup with your pottery classes. Or at Playtime, you have a lot of kids in there as well. For, yeah. You're yeah. teaching kids. What do you, what do you think about the situation? Because obviously, there's been some bad things happening lately. There's been a lot of discussion. There's, there's been a lot of, um, you know, outrage, but also concern. Where do you stand on all that? What do you... Um, I think that... A lot of these kids are drifting because they don't have a direction, like you're saying. And so I think building relationships with them and getting to know them and then helping them to figure out what that is and how they can, you know, you know, pursue that. And a lot of times they're, they might not be able to pursue it until they're like a little, like fully pursue it, pursue it until a little bit later. But in the moment that they're in right now, there's always something that they can be learning that's going to help them reach that goal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't want to move too quickly into, into something. You got to kind of take your time and feel it out and really figure out what you want. Yeah. But that's by learning as much as you can in the situation that you're in right now. So I think helping them like be motivated to learn everything they can where they're at and also not comparing themselves to other people like I talked about before like finding one thing to focus on and just staying in their lane yeah because I think that comparison is where a lot of like the bullying happens and a lot of the self-esteem issues and that kind of thing yeah how do you you know that's that's one of the main things I always I think about especially now because you know you're stuck on your phone all day long and you're always comparing yourself to other people whenever you get on Facebook or get on Instagram or, or whatever it might be so how did you do it how did you keep yourself uh, distracted from what everybody else was doing and focusing on what what you liked is it just something that uh, came naturally to you there's an unfollow button 
and it works really well. <laughs> right. Yeah, and <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way at all, but if there's someone that's really like, you find yourself going and watching what they're doing very closely, mm-hmm. and then you find yourself feeling not good enough after you look at whatever they're doing, mm-hmm. you need to kind of get rid of that. Just cut them out or yeah. just block them, I mean, them, I that guess, doesn't too, mean don't, don't, wanna... don't be friends with them if you see them in person, but... Find a way to limit that because you will make yourself crazy. Mm -hmm. Crazy. That goes back to the bodybuilding weightlifting thing, right? Just always being like focused on what somebody else is doing and trying to catch up. Yeah. And I think, but if you think about it, like young girls, they're going to look at all these other girls that on Instagram that look perfect because it's Instagram. Yeah. And then they're going to go look in the mirror and be like, why don't I look like that? And then it's it's just constant bombardment of that kind of thing. So teaching them how to maneuver that and kind of weed through it, that's going to help them find their identity because they're instead of trying to be like someone else, they're going to try to figure out who they are and what their goals are and what they're created to do instead of trying to be what someone else is. Absolutely. Was there some point in time, like, were you ever bullied? Were you ever, like, you know, uh, were you ever the the person that was on the other end or did you always kind of uh, navigate your way through it just being your own person you know I can't ever pinpoint a time that I was bullied personally and I saw other people get bullied and I remember crying over other people being bullied and one time I said something kind of mean to somebody one time in sixth grade (laughs) and I still feel so guilty about it but I'm kind of a mediator and I want to make sure everyone's included and everyone's happy and that's kind of I think what my role was I was kind of a middle person I wasn't really I tried to stay out of things as much as I could and just you know include people if I saw that they weren't being included but Again, I was homeschooled too, so. Yeah, I guess you didn't have much of an opportunity. (laughs) What year did you go into school from being homeschooled? When did you actually enter? Uh, I was in school in second and third grade, and then sixth and eighth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, part of eighth, and then ninth through twelfth. So when you came back into school, was it? Did you get that really the outcast, or did people already know you? People already knew me. Bellwood's really small. Yeah, it's a small community. Um, But yeah, so I. And I, I like to make friends with everybody. So so you actually, you, you, you had good parents who helped you like figure it I out. I did. And, and I think that's a huge it. thing. A lot of these kids don't have that, that at home. And that's where Micah comes in. And that's where you come in. And these organizations that are doing incredible things with the youth that are, you know, not trying to be the parent. Yeah. But trying to encourage them in the right way. Yeah. Um, Fill the gaps. Yes. Somewhere in there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's super important, and right now, it just, it, I just—I'm glad to hear that a lot of people are coming together because that, that's what inspired me. I've been wanting to do this kind of stuff for years. I've been telling myself, Rob, you're going to do something, and I would either like not have the time, or you know, I didn't know what to do, and it was like it was just like the podcast or like going back and editing yourself. I was like, I just got to start doing stuff mm-hmm. because if I if I sit here and think about it forever, I'm never going to actually act on it. I've got to just get out there, make a decision. Sometimes you just have to take then, that jump, and then you'll learn as you go yeah and the funny thing is once you start going you start immediately connecting with other people who are doing the same thing it mm-hmm. kind of it just it snowballs and like micah was talking about like it's it's kind of it's it's faith whether you are religious or not it's like this faith thing you you put yourself on the right direction and things start to fall into mm-hmm. place like things yeah, just start the connections, to make sense the networking yeah for sure. It just kind of works all together uh what, what do you have any thing you want to talk about is there any uh Topics that we didn't cover that you were interested in? Um, I, w- I basically talked a lot about my past, but I think for me personally, I every step that I went through, and I kind of said this before, like every single job that I had leading up to where I am now was preparing me in some way for what I needed to do. And I think if we always keep that attitude about learning, like – just your possibilities are just endless so just stay on the path of what you want to do and and continuous learning even whenever you're out of school because i feel like oh yeah i guess you learned a lot from being homeschooled because in in high school i mean i can't really recall many things like nothing sticks out to me besides broadcasting i learned i feel like i learned a lot there but nothing sticks out to me that stuck with me 
you know, I'm, I'm sure like a lot of things I did learn and help me, but it's like anything that like sticks out and is, is vivid in my mind comes from working in the broadcasting like studio. Experience. Yeah, things that I really like loved and was into. So yeah, fine. Continuous learning throughout your life is super important. Yeah, and just immersing yourself and surrounding yourself with the people that are going to help you do that. And there's always that saying where if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yes. You need to surround yourself with people that are going to challenge you. And this goes for everybody. If you're 85 or if you're 16, I mean, it's all about growth. And yeah. surrounding yourself with people that are more experienced than you or more intelligent than you or have very developed skills, uh, that's how you're going to figure out what you need to do next. Yeah. And that can be scary, though, right? But that, that, that's a scary thing, like, to get around people who are doing better than you are, who know more than you are. It, it's it's kind of threatening because well, it's like you're threatening. It's, it's, it's threatening, threatening your, your pride yeah. because it's saying you're, you're, you're here and they're here. Yeah. And not that that's a bad thing. They just have so much more experience in a different area. Maybe they're older. Maybe they worked in a field for a really long time. But you really – you have to be humble because – that's how you're going to learn. If you think if you're super proud and conf, like overly confident, you're never going to learn anything. Because then, how are you teachable? Mm -hmm. so, it's like you already know everything, right? Yeah. Then you're, you're you have much to stuck. admit, I don't know this. I'm not good at this. And when when you say you're not good at it, not in a way to put yourself down, but in a just a very level-headed, logical way, like this is not my strong suit. How can I be better? Mm -hmm. It's, that's good advice. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's it's super important, but it's also, it's hard to, if you're not on that path and you don't have the ball rolling, it's really hard to get that ball rolling just mm -hmm. to get out there. You got to find the right people. And I think if, if any kids are listening, they're trying to find the right people. I'd say go to the Refuge Youth Network. Yeah, And totally. talk to Micah and just, uh, the crazy thing with them is, and I'm sure you experienced this, this, it was like, as soon as I went there, I was like, oh, I, I, I get it. Like right off the bat, it was like, everybody's happy. Everybody's positive. They all seem like they're they're extremely approachable. Yes, and they approach you right. instead of you approaching them. They're approachable and they're intentional, mm -hmm. which means they're easy to go to, but if you don't go to them, they will come to you. And, uh, yeah, I just I agree with you 100%. It's an incredible atmosphere. And it's something that this area needs. So if you're mm -hmm. looking for that in this area, I would suggest looking them up and, and finding that because yep. that's – it's definitely a great movement. Now, if people want to find you, give out your, your social media and stuff so they know where to contact you if they want to know more. Yeah, on Facebook, um, I'm at The Clay Cup. And Instagram, The Clay Cup, no spaces, no capital letters. And also Snapchat. I use Instagram all the time. It's my favorite. Um, I was also a photographer, so I like the, the picture side of things. Just like everybody else. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Do you shoot weddings too? Or are you I used doing to. Weddings? Okay. I used to, yeah. Uh, now I just shoot inanimate objects like scones and coffee all day. They can't uh, criticize or yell back while right. you're doing it, I guess. Yeah, they can't blink and, right. you know, do obnoxious things. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, those are my social media. I post my watercolor classes on Facebook, and then my website is theclaycup.coffee. And there's a calendar on there with all the events. Right now there are only two. I'll be posting a lot more. My kiln is supposed to come this week or next week. And then I'll be able to open all of the pottery stuff at the Clay Cup too. Very cool. Now you don't seem to be afraid of being on camera. You don't seem to be uh, hesitant about putting yourself out there. I think one of the most scary things is, and I'm still, you know, I still do this. Like, and I've been on radio for almost, I was on for almost like 18 years. And I still had a little bit of hesit hesitancy sometimes, which I'm sure you do. Everybody does. What would you say to somebody, like a, a kid or anybody who like is like they want to put themselves out there, but they don't because until you do it a lot, you really aren't comfortable with it. How did you start doing it? How did you put yourself out there? Did you, it, or you were just like, you know what, I'm just going to throw it out there. And yeah, well, like I'm not it. a super planner like we talked mm -hmm. about before. So the first experience that I had with being on TV was Central PA Live okay. for Playtime Pottery. And I was like. I'm not really going to make a plan because I don't know what she's going to ask me, but I know what I'm talking about. So I just have to be confident that, like, this is my business. This is what I do. Yeah. And it went so well. And I was like, oh, I love this. <laughs> I was like, I want to be on TV all the time. Um, not really. But um, I would say that, you know, get a couple, of, like, just think over things that you might be talking about if you're going to be in that situation. 
but don't make a super plan because or like a concrete plan because it's probably not going to go that way yeah. and then if you plan on that plan and it doesn't go that way you're going to be so flustered and yeah. not know what to do yeah. so you have to kind of think through some different uh ideas in your head and then just go with it but be confident and you know just talk slowly and i don't know i'm and, not i'm not an expert and be you yeah i guess it's super easy to do it when you know when you're deeply involved and passionate about the thing that you're talking about that yeah. makes it very easy like so. it's different when when you're asked to give a speech in high school about the history of you know our country or something something you're not an expert on it's so different than me talking about why i painted the you know panda with glasses very different yeah and i guess that makes a lot of sense because in school we are wrapping this up, by the way, but now I'm going to get off on this for a second. So, like, in school, like, you would do a project about something that you uh, didn't have any interest in. So it was very nerve-wracking to get up there and talk about it. But yes. if you if they said, hey, what's the one thing you love a lot? And you go up there and talk about it for five minutes. Yeah. It would be much less alarming, a lot less uh, I have an example of that, actually. In high school, I had a speech class in ninth grade, and we had to give a how-to speech. So I gave a how-to speech on how to do a handstand. Uh-huh. And I didn't plan it and I didn't have any cards and it was it went I got like a hundred percent on it because I knew about it as opposed to giving a speech in English class on de- you know debating something. So I have a good example too in high school. I did a project on uh, Japanese deathmatch wrestling because I was a big wrestling fan. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew a lot about Japanese deathmatches because they were, you know, they were my passion at the time. <laughs> so I, I got to talk about that and I, I nailed it and everything else I was just a bumbling idiot about. So, like, it, yeah, when you but have I that think, focus. I think if we're talking to high school kids, <laughs> don't think that you can't do things in public be- based on what you've done in high school or what you're doing in high school because yeah. it's so different than the real world and you can really have a different identity in the real world and like you you can it's just so different i don't even know how to describe it but yeah that's my little nugget for them if if i had one mission i feel like you'd be to change the the junior high and high school bubble right because everybody's in that bubble and you're it can be very intimidating depending on which click you're in and what your status is so some way to like kind of break down that bubble so it's not as uh, intimidating like a yeah a further reach like you're talking about with podcasts and, and YouTube, YouTube videos yeah. and even like an Instagram account that has a specific purpose and not just a personal Instagram account I think that gives a sense of identity outside of the small enclosed group that they're with every single day yeah and luckily they have that avenue now because when yeah. I was in school I didn't have that it wasn't available yet oh, I mean yeah. well, it was a little bit Compared to now, it's the whole new world. But yeah, I think social media can be super negative, but it can also be positive, and I think we can use it that way, too. That's why we're on Facebook Live and doing yeah. a podcast right now. That's thank right. you, thank you very much, Sarah, for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. I and loved it. Maybe you can give me some advice on my uh, my podcast room, so I can. I think you just need some Sarah Vogel art in here, and then it'll be <laughs> good to go. I totally agree. <laughs> and if you guys want to find me, obviously, if you're watching on Facebook, uh, Facebook Rob Z Radio, Instagram Rob Z Radio, Twitter and Snapchat is Rob Z Yo. My podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, it's on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and also now iHeart uh, Media or iHeart Radio. I'm not sure which. It's iHeart Radio. iHeart Radio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, Rob. Uh, Rob Z Radio. And if you would leave me a, a rating, that would be amazing on iTunes. Thank you very much. And you can also leave me voicemails if you guys want to call me. All my zebras out there. I like to call my fans the zebras. Oh, just, that's awesome. It just feels right. That's great. <laughs> Maybe you could paint me a zebra with my head on it. Like a zebra body, but I with my head. That would <laughs> Can be... I just paint a zebra with glasses? That's more so. my strong suit. I guess suit. so. Okay, that makes sense, <laughs> okay. too. I guess Maybe me standing beside it. Maybe me riding the zebra. Oh, that would be pretty sick. Okay. So uh, the number is 814-799-0064. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. That's brutal.